We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, July 6th. Nick Whalen here with dj trainer dj you and i have not talked on the pod for a while uh i spoke with james a little bit last week kind of wrapping up what had already happened or what was going to happen over the weekend in free agency we have a hell of a lot more to talk about now than we did at this point last week i I think maybe the two two biggest moves so far uh the in this offseason have actually been trades you know, with Jimmy Butler going to Minnesota around the draft and Paul George going to OKC late last week. We've had some big signings. Of course, Gordon Hayward, you know, kind of stole most of the headlines over the holiday weekend. But other than that, you know, we've had a lot of minor signings. It hasn't been this massive, massive frenzy. Uh, and, And with Gordon Hayward now officially off to Boston, it kind of feels like we've you know, reach the apex of free agency and are now kind of on the downslope for these next few days. Yeah, let's not forget that Steph Curry and Kevin Durant were technically, you know, available to go to sure. other teams and they decided to stay locked into the Warriors. So when we talk about historic free agent classes, like we can't forget that a lot of players, like I think they're actually going to keep getting better and better because what you have is 
your best players like LeBron James doing like a two year deal, mm-hmm. but having a player option was it's which essentially just means, right. um, you know, one year deal, one year deal. Um, the NBA, like we've seen this off season and maybe moving forward can just flip on its head. And what that's meant, you know, so far is that it's flipped on its Western conference. It has later in the pod. I want to, I want to kind of go through each conference and rank our top eight teams and look at who we think is going to make the playoffs from where it stands now. I did this just kind of on my own while prepping this morning. And I mean, there's 11 teams in the Western Conference that I feel pretty confident about that I think would be playoff teams almost any other year. I mean, you got, you know, like I said, we'll get into this later, but Memphis, Utah, New Orleans, those are teams that are maybe on the outside looking in right now. And that would could maybe be as high as a three or four seed in the Eastern Conference. So. Yeah, I mean, it was already a Western Conference-heavy league, and, and with Paul George going to OKC, with Jimmy Butler going to Minnesota, you're taking two of the easily the 10 best players in the East, maybe top five or six best players in the East. You're throwing them into the Western Conference, so that's going to be even crazier. Uh, but let's start with Paul George. This broke while we were at a local, I don't even know what league, the Madison Mallards, uh play it was a it was a baseball game it's it's technically it's Northwoods Wisconsin league the Northwoods made up league. of like b-level college baseball players yeah it's a college baseball summer league is what it is yes. so we were at that game uh taking in the sights watching one of our colleagues sing Sweet Home Alabama on the field as part of a promotion and we check our phones and all of a sudden Paul George is traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder you're a Thunder fan. Obviously, you're very happy that you have Paul George, especially because you only had to give up Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. Okay, I'm glad that you framed framed it like that because all my friends from Oklahoma, everybody in the media, everybody is framing it. You only had to give up this or you really didn't have to give up a whole lot. But can we please picture it this way? Just please. Is one year of Paul George equal to, lesser than, or greater than Three years of Oladipo and three years of Sabonis. Now I understand that you know Paul George is better than Oladipo and Sabonis whoa, combined whoa, what? for one season, but we're talking about six combined seasons of young, up-and-coming, talented NBA players are way, way less than one season of Paul George. I don't really like that everybody's been phrasing it this way because I don't think that's fair. Well, it's interesting because, and you can say this with a lot of the moves that have already happened and have happened, especially over the last couple of years, is that in the past, if you paired Russell Westbrook, the reigning MVP, with Paul George, a top 10 player in the NBA, you would probably be the favorite to at least win your conference. And the way things stand now, it's like, okay, maybe OKC could be the four seed. So you kind of have to operate everything on a different scale. It's the same with Houston. You pair, you pair Chris Paul with James Harden and, and a pretty good supporting cast, that Rockets team, if you if you place them, you know, in every in every season starting with two thousand, like how many years are they the favorite to come out of the West? You know, at least fifty percent of them. And yeah, you, know, you look at that Rockets team and you kind of say like, yeah, you know, that's fun. Maybe, maybe this will be, maybe this will be an improvement over last year's team, adding a second ball handler. But nothing that's happened this summer has really had an impact on the Warriors, right? I mean, it's fun to talk about Gordon Hayward in Boston. It's fun to it was fun to fantasize about Paul George joining the Cavs. Even if that would have happened, nobody was ready to say that the Warriors are are significantly challenged. So I think you kind of have to frame it in a different lens in that 
I don't know what teams you know, like. What's the goal if you're the Thunder? You know, like you're not you're not going to beat the Warriors with the team you had. You probably weren't going to beat the Warriors by keeping Sabonis and Oladipo for the next three years, especially with Russ being a free agent next year. It just seems like teams are are a little more willing to just throw caution to the wind because you don't really there's more room for error. It feels like because you kind of it feels like the result is decided already that Golden State's going to win, and I think teams are more willing to just say you know screw it let's see if this works let's see if we can catch lightning in a bottle and challenge these guys so there's a new baseline for how you judge judge success in the nba as of right now now before the warriors were assembled and maybe yeah you can't even say this about the miami heat because they you know they could be taken down they were taken down um and it seems feasible the baseline every year before basically the last couple years here was to win a championship. Like that's how you judge every roster move. That's how you judge GM hiring coaches. Can you win a championship with whatever move you just made? That's not the goal anymore because you can't. You, you're just, it's like a big filibuster for the next four years, right? And so I think what the baseline is, you have to at, look at each individual team and there's a new baseline. It's not championship mm-hmm. anymore. Like let's not kid it. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not championship. Maybe it is for LeBron James and company, wherever he's at. But for teams like the Thunder, second smallest market in the NBA, it's retaining Russell Westbrook. It's retaining any sort of superstar that makes you semi-relevant. Bringing in Paul George helps them in that pursuit of saying, hey, let's we're kind of fooling you into thinking that we're a contender, but really nobody's a contender, so you should still stay here because we're going to go out and, and make a couple moves for you, Russell. Please stay here, Russell. Because mm-hmm. if you leave, then we're the second smallest market in the NBA who has never played a season um, where they were you know, considered out of it right from the get-go uh, in a small market, like I said, with you know, like no glimmer of hope even. And that is just around the corner unless Russell Westbrook stays. So that's mm. the baseline for me. And that has never been a fair or reasonable baseline. It should have always been to win a championship, but it's just not anymore, like you said. Russell Westbrook's going to be 29 in November. So I think you know your initial pitch that three years of Oladipo is is comparable, at least arguable, you know, to to one year of Paul George and what that means. Like if Westbrook was twenty five and had a few more years on his deal, I think I would probably agree with you. We would be looking at it differently and seeing this as a short sighted move, um, adding a player who's openly told everyone that he wants to go to L.A. next year. If you're OKC, I think it's worth the ten percent chance that this duo works really well and maybe maybe you go to the western conference finals you lose you know this team's not going to beat golden state but you have a a season in which westbrook and george enjoy playing together basically i think this is sam presti saying you know we'll we'll take that slight chance that paul george enjoys his time here and maybe doesn't want to re-up on a you know four-year max but we could get him to sign a one plus one or something happens in LA and then in the next year and you're kind of slowly able to, to ease him from that. Like, I'm not saying I think it's going to happen or, you know, if you're Paul George, you should want to go to OKC, but I, I think it's worth the chance because if you ran it back with the same core as last year, which is what OKC was positioned to do, you know, what are we doing here? Like, you're going to get the seven seed. Westbrook is going to be faced with a pretty difficult decision in the summer. And I don't know what you would have done in that past year to kind of sway Russell Westbrook's mind. Yeah, I agree with all that, but I really want to key into one thing you said in particular. 
is that we're all just kind of assuming that Paul George and Russell Westbrook are going to get along and Russell Westbrook is going to be happy to have Paul George just because he can have somebody within the same realm of his basketball ability. But let's think about this for a second. Did we ever really think that Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant were happy playing together? No. And they even got into arguments. Now pick any superstar in the whole league. Who is considered maybe maybe the most easy to bend, the easy, you know, easiest to flex, maybe one of the nicest. I think you would say Kevin Durant is right up there at that list. Like just being a nice guy, trying to get along with everybody. I mean, heck, he took a major pay cut to stay with the Warriors. And so if 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 you'll agree with me that Kevin Durant might be one of the most flexible players in the NBA both on and off the court, then I don't know that we're, we should be so certain that him and Paul George are just going to get along right away. If Kevin Durant could have maybe been one of the best um, partners Russell Westbrook could have ever asked for. Yeah, I mean, the, the personality thing is tough from afar. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know who's friends with who, who seems like they would be friends with someone and might not actually be. But from Durant's perspective, he's easier to fit in because he can shoot. You know, he he needs the ball to be peak Kevin Durant as we saw in the finals, but he can also spot up. Like that's, that's one of the issues I think with LeBron is that, well, one, he's, he's, he's so, I wouldn't say hard headed is the right word, but he's, he's so stubborn ingrained, stubborn and rightfully so, you know, it's like, you're not going to, you don't want to take the ball out of LeBron's hands by any means, but you can't just throw LeBron on the wing and have him spot up and shoot threes like you can with Kevin Durant. It's just dumb. And, And I think Paul George is closer to Durant in that respect you know, I I don't think he's going to be – like, are you saying you could imagine him and Russ going at it because Westbrook is, is hogging the ball too much? Like, we kind of saw off and on at the end of the, the Westbrook-Durant pairing. Yeah, it wasn't even at the end. It was yeah. throughout and during because – I mean, if we want to talk about stubborn players, it, Russell Westbrook is yeah. high at the top. I, I, I don't want to, like, call an argument or call a spad, but – Russell Westbrook is a hard guy to play with. He has a Kobe oh, yeah. Bryant mentality in the final two minutes of a game, but doesn't have necessarily the clutch that we've, you know, the, the Kobe clutch gene. And so from that aspect, that's where Kevin Durant really, really struggled with Russell Westbrook is that Westbrook plays hero ball when he really shouldn't be jacking threes because he's not a good three-point shooter. And I do wonder, I mean, that happened in the with the Warriors, right? right. Like Draymond got mad at Kevin Durant multiple times. Yeah. And so it's just something that happens when you put a new team together. I just don't think we should be saying, oh, Russell Westbrook and Paul George, they don't play the same position. So they're going to love each other in Oklahoma City this year and they're going to love it so much that they're going to want to play two years from now. I just, nobody should write off that as a conclusion by any means. I think it's a bit of a catch-22 for some of these guys where Paul George is been dying to play with another superstar his whole career but the caveat to that is when you play with another superstar that means you inherently give up some touches so you know you, you would think that he's going in with that mindset where he understands he's going to have to sacrifice a bit especially when it's Russell Westbrook you know arguably the biggest black hole in the league but part of that last year was you know who who else on that team would you rather have had taking the shots so that's that's the thing and that makes a whole lot of sense like Russell just looks around surveys who's on the court with him and he's like heck no I just need to take any type of shot because it's going to be better 
you know, but again, bringing back up Kevin Durant and even James Harden, there were times when he looked around, saw two of the best players in the league and said, I got this. I think I have the best. So I don't, I think it'll be off and on. It'll really be a tough process for Russell Westbrook to adjust from last year's style of play to this coming year style of play. If they want to be good, if they want to be the best thunder with the best record they could possibly have, we're going to need to see a mentality switch something we've never seen Westbrook really ever do at any point in his career. Yeah, I think the one salvageable point, if you're a Thunder fan and you're worried about this, is we have seen Westbrook, you know, make it work, at least with another superstar who's pretty similar uh, to Paul George and Kevin Durant. And like we've touched on, I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't the perfect marriage by any means, but they made it work. <laughs> they won 55 games four times in yeah. six years, you know, like it as much as it didn't work it still worked pretty pretty damn well they went to the finals once they should have gone probably a couple more times had it not been for injuries so it's not like we've never seen russ at least somewhat adapt his game he's never fully handed it over and just said i'll be the second guy and maybe that's a fault of his but at least he has some experience in this situation it's not like you're throwing him into something he's never done before yeah gordon hayward gordon hayward um i wanted to ask you uh, given what happened on July 4th with the news coming via Chris Haynes early in the day that Hayward had chosen Boston, immediately there's contradictory reports that, you know, not that he wasn't choosing Boston, but he just hadn't decided yet. You know, six hours later, we get the Players' Tribune piece, which he apparently wrote in about 30 minutes, copy edited, added photos, did the photo shoot, and got it up there. It's pretty clear that he had chosen Boston ahead of time and he just wanted to announce it on his own terms and probably wanted to discuss it with Utah throughout the day and announce it later. And from what it sounds like, I think Brian Windhorst on the on the True Hoop pod yesterday essentially said that someone in his inner circle that was not supposed to say anything said something. Chris Haynes got wind of that, did his job, got it out there. My question to you is what is the right way to handle this situation? Had Gordon Hayward told the Jazz in the afternoon and then just quietly dropped the Players' Tribune piece like it seemed was his plan all along. Is that the best way he could have done this? Right. So in simplest terms, Haynes tweeted that out. Hayward's camp went, oh, crap. We wanted to be in charge of this message, and they weren't. And then you know they kind of said, no, we haven't made a decision when they obviously had. And so I think the Hayward camp went about it wrong, to answer your question, right? I think that as soon as Haynes tweeted that out, within 30 minutes, an hour, the piece should have just released on Player Tribune. Um, they shouldn't have done all that backtracking because really what they did is like, it's as close as you're going to get to a physical pulling at your heartstrings. Like, oh, no, there's, there actually is still hope. Oh, right. no, there actually isn't. He just he just strung us along for six more hours. Well, the, the way that it was reported made it sound that reports got out that he was going to Boston, and then Hayward reacted and was like, oh, wait, maybe I don't want to go to Boston. When in, in reality, the decision he was knew. always made. Like, there was no waffling the day of. Right. So the day before, they made an announcement that he was going to release his decision on the Players' Tribune, which if you're going to make an announcement that you're going to do it on the Players' Tribune, then you obviously want to craft your message how you want and you want to be the first one to put it out there, which you're makes sense. You're also taking several hours to do this. Several hours to do this. And let's just be very, very honest that the players are not writing those things. Like Maybe some of them are, but they certainly are getting a heavy edit or something. I think it's an as-told-to situation. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't go as just, far as to say that someone else is just completely ghostwriting it but just i don't like, think they're sitting down on a laptop 
and pounding it out. Right. Go look at any biography at Barnes and Noble. It says, you know, biography of Gordon Hayward with John Wertheim or John right. Feinstein. Johnny so O'Brien autobiography. Johnny o- exactly. As told to Nick Whalen. But, but, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. You know, this is what we do for a living. You can't just like say, hey, here it is. And then boom, put it out there. Like there's, we need to get in contact with an editor. We need to craft the message. We need to check it with a couple of people. And so there was a lot of, of, of thought that went into this. It wasn't just... You know, I haven't decided yet. Uh, okay, here we go. Boom, put it out there. It's, I, I think it was handled wrong. It was obvious he was going to the Celtics, and he should have just kind of confirmed that, came out with the Players' Tribune, take your losses in your new home, and, and just kind of run with it. Because in the end, you know, he, he's going to the Celtics. None, mm-hmm. Nothing changed from that perspective. And, and, Celt- and Jazz fans are still going to be just as mad at him, regardless of how it's announced. Yeah, I think the you know, the seemingly flaky nature of the decision as it came out on Tuesday probably rubbed it a little bit more in the faces of the Jazz fans, right or wrong. You know, I don't think Hayward certainly intended it to mean that way, but I think that's the way that Jazz fans reacted, um, particularly to the the belief, whether this is true or not, that the Jazz were not informed ahead of time. And then that's fueled by, like, Trey Lyles tweeted something. He's not even with the Jazz anymore. <laughs> uh, Rudy Gobert had that snap video. Um, Ricky Rubio tweeted something. So, like, I, all of a sudden, I think Jazz fans kind of got behind that. And it was like, oh, if Rudy Gobert is thinking this way, it's okay to think this way. Yeah. Um, but the Players' Tribune is, like, the preferred route now. We've, we saw it with Durant. We saw it with Hayward, the two biggest free agents of the last couple summers. LeBron, you know, the Players' Tribune wasn't really the Players' Tribune when he made his decision. Was it even around back then? No, I don't it think so. It seems like he would have used that it's if fairly it was. New. Yeah, and, but he basically did that, but with Sports Illustrated. So being able to craft the message the way you want it and kind of give an explanation for your decision, you know, to, I think that's the point, right? Is so you can write and you can tell people, instead of just them reading a tweet that says, Kevin Durant's going to the Warriors, Kevin Durant gets a chance to, you know, kind of explain himself and get out ahead of whatever messages uh, are out there. I don't think that really works, right? No. And to be fair, we're, we're completely biased as people who write for a living and, you know, th- like this is what we do. And so we, we you know, r- the writers want to write and they want to be the ones to tell the story. They want to be the ones that craft the story. Right. Um, but the the big thing here for me is that you can contact a professional writer and he'll do whatever you want. Um, who was the guy that broke like Lee Jenkins, right? Like, you know that LeBron James and his camp read it over multiple times, multiple, multiple times before he announced or Lee Jenkins announced that he was going back to Cleveland and Lee Jenkins was able to write it. And I don't want to take any way thing, anything away from the players should be but in an elegant way, exactly like LeBron James wanted it. You throw a little love at Lee Jenkins and SI and I, I guess I don't really know just from logistics. Is there any monetary value, like I was, charitable value of the Players' Tribune? See, I was wondering that too yesterday. I'm like, is this just going straight to Jeter? Or, you know, if right. you're, an, if you're yeah. an athlete, if you're in the way that these guys operate, like, wouldn't you say, like, yeah, I'll, I'll break it on the Players' Tribune if you give me $100,000, you know? Like, and what, maybe, that, maybe that is going on. I don't know. Right. Like, what motivation would you have to go to the Players' Tribune for anything other than that? The only thing I can think of is that they literally have professional af- athletes, mind you, have such a disdain for the media because they're always in their face day in day out that they want to take away some of their livelihood like literally their livelihood i think the whole goal of the players tribune is to get these guys to buy into the buy the players for the players thing Mm -hmm. and if you buy into that and you're willing to kind of push that agenda then sure it seems like a great idea i just think 
I don't care who's writing it, whether it's Lee Jenkins or whether it's the player themselves or their agent or whoever. I think it's just they try to be sincere, but it's so easy to see through. You know, it's, like yeah. how many of the I don't think there's ever been a Players Tribune article that doesn't include the line. I know this is cliche, but and Gordon Hayward's <laughs> included that as well. It's like I really cherish my time in Utah. Like if you're a Jazz fan and you really wanted Gordon Hayward to stay, you're not going to read that and be like, oh, okay, I understand now. Now that's fine that he went to Boston. Like. I, I think it's thoughtful. I think it's better than just not releasing anything at all. But ultimately, I don't believe that the Players' Tribune accomplishes the goal of easing whatever tensions are there between player X who leaves uh, fan base X. And I think there is a place for the Players' Tribune. But the nature of what we're dealing with, somebody deciding they want to leave the city, leave the organization, leave that fan base and go to another one, I don't care how you craft that message whether it's in hieroglyphs or it's a... That would be something. Yeah, you know, like thought-out Players' Tribune in their own words. It doesn't matter. The nature of them physically moving their whole lives away from a mm-hmm. fan base, away from a city to a new one, picking somebody else. It's denial. It's rejection. And and you, you can put whatever kind of rhetoric you want on that. It, it, it hurts just the same. We should see if any players want to break their news on Rotowire. Like, who is the lowest-level free agent we could possibly reach out to? Hey, you Chris know, Humphreys. Johnny O'Brien. He's not a free agent. Uh, he's like, yeah, he's tearing it up. He's got a summer league max deal lined up right perk, now. Perk, I mean, Perk wants to make a comeback. <laughs> we will give you a platform to <laughs> announce. Every... We'll, give, we'll give you third headline on the NBA page, Perk. <laughs> what do you say? Um, what? Well, so the original question is, what's the best way to do this? If it's not the Players Tribune, if it's not a half hour special on ESPN. You got like what if your favorite player was leaving your favorite team? Let's say you're a Thunder fan. Let's say I don't know Kevin Durant leaves your team. What? How do you want it to be announced if you're a fan? <laughs> uh, it it's doesn't, too soon for that. Yeah, it's too soon. I mean, it's funny. I remember where I was when Kevin or what when James Harden got traded away. I was in a, a friend's apartment. I'll never forget crying on the floor. Yeah, crying on the <laughs> floor. I probably wanted in my have, underwear. Yeah. <laughs> um. And save for, you know, just on and on and on. And I, and I don't remember how they were broke. The only reason why I remember Kevin Durant's decision was because the, 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 the photo, the photo yeah. lives on as a meme forever. Like if anything's going to come from the Player like a, Tribune. Like a mangrove. Right. <laughs> He's just a, out in a vineyard. In the, the whitest Warriors t-shirt in the right. world. And it's just, so what's funny is that we actually have a physical attachment to these announcements now because of the Player's Tribune. Because if a Woj drops it, he just tweets it out and that's it. But now we're getting Players Tribune with like some kind of stoic, like looking off into the sunset right. type thing. So that's the only, that's the only thing. What's the way to do it? I don't care. It doesn't matter because again, it's the nature of rejection, denial, mm-hmm. picking somebody else over somebody else. And so, um, what's the right way? See, so if I were if I were to do it, and obviously I don't know the ins and outs of being a professional athlete whatsoever, but you listen to guys like Woj, uh, guys like Zach Lowe, and players text them and ask them what's going on. And I think guys like Woj would be more inclined to actually tell them what's going on if they gave them a scoop of their own. You know what I mean? So if I'm Gordon Hayward, um, I'm going to tell Woj, hey, I'm going to Boston. And then in a couple years when they're trying to acquire Kevin Love or Kevin Durant or Carmella or whoever, maybe I shoot Woj a text and ask him what the latest situation is. Because if there's one thing I've learned 
uh, this free agency is that the players are as far outside of the situation as we are. And that can be seen with all those tweets from the Jazz, mm-hmm. Hassan Whiteside tweeting out like, hey, this isn't over yet. Um, so that my only, I'd, I'd, I'd be very selfish and I'd think, how can I make this decision give me some kickbacks later on in the future? That's what it is. Assuming that they're not getting some kind of monetary, charitable kickback from going with the player tribune, which we don't really know for sure. Yeah, we'll have to do some digging there. We need to come up with an announcement. It's like, it's like a ruse to get in with the player's tribune. Uh, all right, let's talk about the third most important. I think the ruse is that we'd have to actually play a professional sport. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, they wouldn't just, we need a reason to go to the player's tribune. Like, what do you guys play? Like, don't worry about it. We play. Uh, so we talked about Hayward. We talked about Paul George. This brings us to Nick Young. Swaggy P is now on the Warriors. I, uh, you know, I saw a lot of people joking about like, oh, the Warriors are just kind of, they're just doing this to rub it in the face of everyone else. Like what, what player with a horrible reputation could we bring in, turn into a productive option and help us win a title? And Swaggy P is now that guy. And he's a really good fit because he shot the ball really well from outside. He's somehow, he's 32 years old, which it's, I would have, if you would have told me he was like 24, I wouldn't have believed you, but I would have like, I would have thought about it. I would have at least done the calculations. (laughs) He's older than Sean Livingston. That's insane. That's crazy. Is that wild? That is pretty wild. Um, The Warriors have developed such a culture of winning, right? Anybody they add on to that roster, you just just shut up. You just shut up and play. I would say you do the opposite. You, like, that bench... (sighs) Well, you know, it's not, they're the anti Spurs. They get, they get the same results as the Spurs, but they don't do it the same way. You're right. But maybe your play on the court, you just kind of shut up and play however they want you to. Is that better? Or whatever Draymond tells you to do, you do. Yeah. Essentially. Well, I think it's just an understanding. It's an understanding of excellence and expectations there. Well, it's get on. I mean, get on the gravy boat. Do you want a championship or not? Well, that's a, yeah, exactly. It's you're not. We're not bringing you in here unless you buy in. We're, it's like we're handing you a free ring. If yes. you if you just don't if you behave and don't mess this up, you're getting yourself a ring. Mm-hmm. And I think I, they haven't had any. But actually, I was going to say they haven't had anyone like Swaggy P yet, but they certainly did in JaVale. JaVale McGee. And look how that turned out. And I th- I think Swaggy P is on another level as a player, at least than Ben Javale. No, uh, Swaggy or P at was least from really... where Javale was going into last year. Like expectations for Javale were. Hopefully he stays on the team the entire season and isn't so bad that they have to cut him. Turned out he was pretty productive. Like Swaggy's coming off the best individual season of his career. He had a stretch last season where he was averaging 30 minutes per game, almost 19 points, shooting 54% from the field, making making 4.7 three-pointers per game over right. a nine-game stretch. This guy adds value. I mean, he was a good snag for them. On a team that... He had like arguably the worst supporting cast in the NBA last year, and now he's going to by far the best supporting cast. Yeah, no facilitators. Lou Williams no. was on that team, uh, basically a duplicate of what Nick Young provides for you. You know, they overlapped. Still, Nick Young was able to carve out a nice role. He's a good player. He just so much off of the court hoopla gets in the way, but he really is a solid championship piece, if you will. I'll even go as far to say a championship piece. You need guys. Yeah, this like isn't this isn't bench. just a novelty signing. You know, I mean, it's fun to joke about because it's him, but this is he's going to play minutes for them. Yeah, I, I mean, they're going to lose Ian Clark, and he's pretty much going to step into that role more Ian or less. Clark, I I do wonder if he can basically take Patrick McCaw's minutes. I know everybody's high on McCaw. I don't think, McCaw I don't think they're really it. eager to get Patrick McCaw off the court, though. 
You think so? I think, I think Nick they Young wanted, is like, an immediate upgrade over McCaw. I think they like McCaw. I know they McCaw like McCaw. played like 20 minutes in, ga- in game five of the finals. I know. I know they like McCaw, but who's better right now? I, I think Nick Young is better right now. It depends. I think McCaw's a better defender. He's been in the system. I think they're just going to split time. And okay. you know, neither neither player is going to see all that much time. I mean, they right. brought with bringing back Iguodala and Livingston. It's not like there's this gaping hole. Although they're probably not bringing back Matt Barnes, so Nick Young is probably a little bit better in that three spot. But I mean, with Golden State, the two and the three are somewhat interchangeable. It's it's, it's just so ridiculous that we talk about, it, and it doesn't even matter. No, you know, no, it, it, it doesn't. just doesn't matter. Um, the rich it would get on richer. a normal team. Um, you know, you would have legitimate questions like, do you play McCall more? Do you play Young more? But it just doesn't matter on this particular team. Gravy boat to a championship. Sacramento Kings. What what are the Kings doing? I A lot of immediate reaction to that George Hill signing and the subsequent Zach Randolph signing was hatred, disdain. You know, what are you doing? Classic Confusion. King, hashtag shock. classic Kings. I think this is one of the smarter moves they've made over the last few years. Right. They're because, not it's not bad. So like, neither of these contracts are bad. You have one of the youngest rosters in the league and you bring in two venerable veterans who've seen it all, done it all, great mentors. And by the way, it's not a KG last two years of his career mentor. It's hey, here's what you should do. Let me show you. I'm going on the court right now. I or will I'll show beat you. your ass. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Um, like, I will show you on the court. I will lead on the court. And I think that's really valuable for a team that is so, so incredibly young. I don't know why people are hating on the Kings. They're obviously saying there's this weird three to four filibuster uh, years that it doesn't really matter. So let's bring in some KG vets. Let's progress this young talent. Try to peak in four or five years. I think bringing in George Hill, bringing in Zach Randolph, Honestly, I'm going to say this, is a perfect complement to the roster that they had before those moves. Now, if you want to question the roster that they had before bringing on Hill and before bringing on Randolph, fine. But with what they had, I think it made sense to bring in those two guys. Well, they lost pretty much their entire backcourt in free agency, and they just didn't really want to bring any of those guys back and for good reason. So it's not like you know they had money to spend. It's not, it's not like they're just you know, plunging themselves into the tax or anything to to go for these short-sighted moves. And I think they got George Hill in a pretty good deal. I mean, a lot of people were expecting George Hill to sign, you know, four for 100 or at least get those offers, and the market just wasn't there. So getting him for three, you know, 19 mil a year, essentially, for the next three years, you know, he's, what, 31 now? So he's 34 at the end of that. That's not terrible. He's The only thing with George Hill is – for some reason, I don't think of him as being a guy who's always injured, but then you look and he, he misses a ton of games every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that concern. Uh, but at the same time, you talk about you know good mentors for De'Aaron Fox. You know George Hill is, is not only a, a well-respected veteran and a smart guy and, and a guy who's played in multiple systems, including San Antonio, um, but he's also not you're, – you're not bringing him in to just play over Fox. You know, like he'll, he's, it sounds like, more than happy – to play mostly off the ball. Cause you're not playing deer and Fox at the two, unless he became a drastically better shooter in the last three months. That's just not an option. So you're bringing in someone who can simultaneously play alongside him and mentor him without necessarily hindering his development. You know me, not into rookies, not into prospects <laughs> that much at all, but the comp that I've been hearing for deer and Fox is John wall. Do you think that's a fair comparison outside of the obvious Kentucky relation? Not really. I I never. Okay. I mean, it's not like horribly inaccurate 
um, because Walls struggled as a as a jump shooter and was super fast in college and had that athleticism. And so that's I, it. Is that the I root of the comparison? If he didn't go to Kentucky, and... if he didn't go to Kentucky, right. nobody would have said that. Exactly. I always All thought right. that was a little odd. Like John Wall has four inches longer arms. He's a he's a better athlete. He came in you know much bigger physically than Fox. I I think it's unfair to Fox. Like I think he's really good and is a really good prospect and probably would have been a top three pick in a lot of drafts in this in the past decade but i mean john wall was one of the top 10 prospects you know as okay. a top three point guard prospects of the last 10 or 15 years you know like i think it's just john wall was really 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 good deer and fox isn't quite on that level all right good i'm glad you cleared that up because i'm always hesitant because i just don't dive into college basketball mm-hmm. as nearly as much as you do I think, you know, if you're looking at the playing time, the way it's going to split, it seems reasonable that Fox, Hill, Heald would rotate on those two guard positions. Um, Frank Mason, I mean, the dude was one of the best, had one of the best college careers ever, right? At Kansas. Um, KG Vett, the guy that I'm going to compare him to maybe is Trey Burke. Coming into the league, would you favor Trey Burke or Frank Mason as somewhat veteran rookies? I know Burke only played a couple years in college. Uh, I mean, Burke was a lottery pick. I think he was kind of the obvious. Yeah, choice. but in a different draft. Yeah, I mean, a lottery Trey pick Burke, that was drafted too high. Yeah, but pe- I mean, people Trey Burke was going to go in the lottery regardless. He shouldn't have gone as high as he did. You, you just like players like Frank Mason just don't go in the first round really anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he's five eleven. He's a really good athlete. He's you know going to be twenty three. It's just that just doesn't happen. We're we're well past the days. James and I always joke about this of the best player in college is just automatically a top three pick, you know, like that doesn't, that's just not the case anymore. If anything, staying in college lower and you lose value, you lose five to 10 spots of your value every year you stay. No, I get that. And that hits close to home with guys like Nigel Hayes, but I'm just wondering, I'm just trying to pinpoint and I don't want to phrase it like this, but I think our listeners and maybe even you will understand it best. Like who's the Draymond green of this class who had a very, very good college career, college, um, you know, coaches would just rave, rave, rave about them. But for whatever reason, the scouts just aren't into them. And I'm trying to pick out that one talent where they've proven that they're good basketball players, but for some reason, nobody's really believing in their NBA talent. I'm trying to just find that one guy. And I've pinpointed Frank Mason. And I'm just wondering if maybe you think there's another guy that had a very, very good, you know, tangible college career that's not getting a lot of love at the next level. Um, well, Mason's not a bad choice. I just, he's just too short. If he was six, one, I would be with you. I think, I mean, he was, he rebounds incredibly well for his size. He's obviously a great passer. He was the Naismith winner. Uh, the guy for me is Jawan Evans. He, he only played two years, so he's not quite in the same category as Mason, but he was the most efficient point guard in college basketball last year. And if he was not six foot and, you know, he has long arms, which I I was kind of surprised he fell to 39, but if he was not six foot, we would have been talking about him you know, in the, as a, as a late lottery pick. So he's kind of a guy for me who, you know, with the Tia dosage signing now in LA probably isn't going to get much of a shot this year, but I think he'll rip up the D league. Uh, and, and we'll see more of him down the road. I think a lot of people would are, are on Monte Morris, another point guard from Iowa state who was basically the most efficient point guard in the history of college basketball for the last couple of years of his career. Um, that should translate well. And then Jordan bell, if you want like a real Draymond type, He's probably the closest thing. And, of course, Golden State bought that pick right. at 38 from Chicago and got him. And I think they're just going to kind of try to turn him into the second unit version of Draymond. Well, 
he's the new JaVale McGee too, right? Or am I... I mean, Jordan Bell's only like... I think he's a generous 6'8". Oh, he is. Okay. So he's much more of a Draymond archetype. I mean, he can't, he can't pass like Draymond, but he has... He's arguably the best shot blocker in this class at 6'8", and just has like unbelievable timing, really good athlete, can't really shoot. So, I mean, by no means is he going to step in and be Draymond, but nobody thought Draymond would be Draymond. How good, and you could tell by his reaction on draft night with his family, how good must it feel for the best team ever in the history of the NBA to go pay $3 million yeah. to bring you on their team? Well, if you're a second-round pick, it's great. You do wonder, though, I mean, you could make this case about Jason Tatum with Boston. Would you rather walk into a situation where you're probably going to the finals or the conference finals in year one? If you're a second-round pick, I think, yeah, you're just happy to get drafted, and it's great to be in that. But if you're a high lottery pick, part of you, I think, and this is a lot of the reason I believe Josh Jackson's camp didn't want him in Boston, is do you really want to spend your first year or two playing 15, 16 minutes a game off the bench? 100%. And that's you have to keep your next contract in mind, your second contract in the league. Uh, whoever went to Boston, it was pretty clear it was going to be one of those small forwards, Tatum or Jackson. They traded down, so that could happen. Uh, Boston has the best collection of you know shooting guards, small forward in the league, and that was before they got Hayward. Now they're just, you know, they have too much talent at that one position. And you can like Tatum as much as you want. Um, Maybe I will. Yeah, you can like him as much as you want. But, you know, he's going to have trouble showcasing his talents. I mean, he has to completely surpass Jalen Brown. And then, by the way, Avery Bradley's still there. Jay Crowder's still there. Gordon Hayward's still there. I mean, there's just not a lot of time to fit in. Um, And so... I, I 100% can see how Josh Jackson would just like, don't pick me, Boston. Please don't pick me. I would love to go to the Suns, play a bunch of minutes with Devin Booker and Marquise Chris and earn that next contract. I mean, Tatum's going to have trouble doing that, and it's going to be no fault of his own. He could be very, very good for a rookie, and it won't matter because there's just too much legitimate talent ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, him and Jalen Brown have been the two best players at, at the Utah Summer League. They, I don't know if you've seen the highlights yet, but Tatum's been incredible. Jaylen, Brown's running the point, which has been a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, and unfortunately, we're like, what? Are, I mean, Brown maybe plays twenty minutes. It's it's going to depend on what happens with Crowder. Uh, they're going to have to dump one of Crowder, Smart, or Bradley. Rozier might be involved from what I understand and if they dump Rozier they'd still need to make another move to clear up a little more space basically they can't actually sign Hayward until they 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 make one of these moves sign and trade for essentially Could be tra- possible yeah trading Hayward for Jay Crowder has been talked about have we found it's any the same situation there? it's the same situation Houston was in with Chris mm-hmm. Paul where they could have signed Chris Paul as a free agent uh but it was honestly beneficial for both sides not only did the the Clippers ended up getting something back for Paul and it ended up being a pretty good haul for a guy who's going to be a free agent and is you know on the latter end of his prime uh and and had they just signed him straight out they would have had to find a home for Ryan Anderson's money and you know basically the the Rockets would have had to trouble themselves to basically to give away contracts and probably end up losing an asset or two which you're attaching to those contracts so in a lot of ways it's easier for both sides and I think we're probably going to see that with Utah so rather than Boston having to hunt down, you know, a home for, for an expiring Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder, you know, you can just send them back to Utah and it makes it a little bit cleaner. Yeah. And that 
you would think that still would happen. What would we'll happen? Because there's still time for it to happen. But they just have too many guys. I didn't even mention Marcus Smart or Terry Rozier in that in that uh, discussion about having too much shooting guard, small forward talent. They're just gonna. I mean, they're gonna let Olenek go. They're gonna let Jarebko go. Guys who were not great, but were pretty good rotation players, and for a lot of teams, you know, would probably be kept at, at decent contracts. And they're just they're afterthoughts. I mean, with Tatum, I think we could end up seeing like, like a Tracy McGrady type arrives out of him where. I mean, I don't. T Mac was nowhere near as polished as Tatum is right now, uh, at, at this age. But T Mac averaged seven points a game, eighteen minutes a game as a rookie, nine points per game his, his second year, fifteen his third year, and then when he finally went to Orlando in year four and started playing forty minutes per game, twenty-seven points per game, seven and a half rebounds, wow. four and a half assists. You know, kind of a Harden type of situation. Harden is not that we're going to see Tatum leave Boston, but it's going to be a while, conceivably until he really is able to shine unless Gordon Hayward moves for some reason or Jalen Brown becomes a full-time four. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. The nice thing is a lot of these wings are flexible and can play two or three spots. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again is that Boston has too many assets. You only, you can only have five guys on the court at once. They need to start making deals three for one where they're getting the one. Yeah. Well, so, and it's not over either because right. you're getting the Brooklyn pick again next year and yeah. your own pick and your own picks going forward. And you have, you know, Yabusole and the other foreign guy coming over this year too. Like it's just it's never ending. Yeah. 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 Right. And, uh, and it's weird. It's weird to say, but they have too many assets. They need to start packaging these guys for Gordon Hayward level players or better. Like you can like. I mean, Avery Bradley's really, really good. Almost every team in the league would die to have him, except the Celtics, as they yep. you know need to thin out. It's just a weird, weird anomaly in NBA history where they have too many assets. And I think some teams around the league should realize that they have too many assets and almost play hardball with them. They have been, right? I mean, I think that's what we saw with Minnesota or not with, with Chicago, I'm sorry, and with Indiana. I mean, those right. were the two guys that Boston clearly made plays for and didn't get because they weren't willing to pony up. And they need to because it's, they have a gluttony of riches, and it's actually devalued what they have, which is crazy to say. But they have so many that you can only – they just have too many, and you need to do three-for-one trades, four-for-one trades. And the rest of the league has taken note, and they're saying, you got to be kidding me. Like you're not even like assessing what you have right right in front of you right now. And they're just saying, you know what? Not even going to deal with it. Not even going to deal with it. It makes for a lot of salary maneuvering. I think that's kind of an unintended consequence of like stacking up asset after asset every year is, you know, you're guys like Avery Bradley who are on really nice contracts each year they lose value, you know, and now we're getting to the point where they might just be giving Avery Bradley away essentially to clear room for Gordon Hayward where you could have just included Avery Bradley in a trade earlier and gotten some value back. Right. But then you got to worry about like if you had they packaged Avery Bradley and someone else for Jimmy Butler or whatever earlier in the year, then you have to do other salary maneuvers to fit Gordon Hayward. So it's a lot going on for Boston. It's a lot more complicated uh, than it looks at the surface, but not a bad spot to be in. Like you know, they'll they'll be okay. I think they'll they'll be just fine. Any other team? There's what twenty nine other teams would. 28 other teams maybe would take that situation over their current situation. Yep. One, I 100% agree. I just think it's weird that they've backed themselves into too good of a situation where it's actually causing them harm. Um, but maybe Danny Ainge has uh, a master plan that we're not privy to. 
Do you think the Gordon Hayward signing is overrated? I think it's overrated, and here's why. I didn't want to go here, but I'm glad you brought it up. Is that you're not saying that you're adding Gordon Hayward and he's a complete new asset, right? Because he has to take somebody's place. What you're saying, or what you should say, is what's the margin of difference between Gordon Hayward and Jay Crowder? Or what's different? What's the margin cost. of difference? The opportunity cost, right? Exactly. What's the opportunity cost between Hayward and Avery Bradley? And to be honest with you, between those two guys, it's not a whole lot. It's it's not a ton, right? And so yeah. we, we can we can applaud this Gordon Hayward move and say, oh wow, now they're going to contend and all that. But it's not just they added Gordon Hay- Gordon Hayward onto the roster. There, you know, you have to look at that margin difference, opportunity cost for having him on and not being able to play Jay Crowdy. Right. And I don't know if that margin of difference is something to get excited about. I think it's sizable. I mean, Gordon Hayward's a very good player. But the way we're talking about him is it's gotten the same fanfare as the Kevin Durant decision. It's like Gordon Hayward is a one-time All-Star. He's never made an All-NBA team. He's won one player of the week, which, <laughs> I mean, if that tells you something, he's only been the best player in his conference for one week of his entire career. Um, I, I just, you know, and, and of course he's played in the West. And a lot of guys who have multiple All-Star berths, looking at you, Kyle Lowry, you know, if they played in the West, they would be like that. And if Gordon Hayward has spent his career in Boston till now, he'd probably be a four-time All-Star. But the point is, I think he we're, we're treating this like they added a top five player in the league, when in reality, they might have added the 17th best player in the league. Yeah, I, I agree that there's something to be said about, um, oh man, I forget. What's the beautiful mind? Like the most beautiful girl in the room. Is that a movie? Yeah, it's a movie. Oh yeah, I forgot. You're not a movie guy. So, um... I won't get into it too much, right? But if there's a bunch of girls at a party, okay? I'm listening. You're immediately going to single out the most attractive one, right? And you're like, wow, she's so beautiful. She's the the most- Well, best personality, yeah. Best personality at this party. But there could be a party down the street where she is- far and away, not the most prettiest. In fact, she's the least prettiest. But because of your available options, mm-hmm. you are kind of tricked into thinking that she is right. super suitable to be your wife. So right? if you're if you're a, a cute girl, you surround yourself. You never want to be the yes. cute, or you never want to be the least cute girl. You never want to, yeah. Surround yourself with Some, less cute girls to make yourself Exactly. We're beating around the bush here. We could use different terminology. But that's what we have in this free agency. And so we said that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry were technically free agents, but it's not really the case. Gordon Hayward is the prettiest girl at a party that's probably a party that's like a 7 or 8 out of 10, but it's not like... Yeah, a, it's a party at like the engineering frat house. Exactly. <laughs> where it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people there, but you know, what, what, what kind of caliber are we talking about? No, I think that's a good way to see it. Like they, or Boston's cap situation worked out where this was the summer they could spend, and unfortunately, you know, they missed Paul George by a year. They missed Jimmy Butler by two years. They missed LeBron by a year, uh, you know, and, and Gordon Hayward was the best option. And, and it kind of turned into this love fest of like, we kind of forgot that Gordon Hayward isn't a franchise changing player. So we'll see. I mean, it's, I think Boston at the very least is the second best team in the East. And I think, I think they'll win the East in the regular season, just as I did last year. I can't see Cleveland caring more than they did last year Cleveland really didn't get any better if anything they'll probably get a little worse um so I have the east Boston one Cleveland two this is regular season standings Washington three Toronto four Milwaukee five after that you can basically plug in 
six different teams and I won't argue with you, but I have Miami six, Charlotte seven, and then Philadelphia. Wow. Eight. Did you, you didn't say Detroit. They, they're bringing back the same guys. Yeah. The same guys that didn't make the playoffs last year and new hated each other. Before we get into this, Nash equilibrium is the beautiful mind, which is not the theory I was talking about. So I completely okay. botched the beautiful mind theory. You shouldn't have told me. I wouldn't have known. I know. You didn't know. Uh, I think the Pistons need to sneak in there somehow, some way. Uh, just because they have the same cast of characters, for better or worse, and in this East, I'm going to say worst, um, and I think they can do it. I agree. I want to jump on the Philly bandwagon, but it is just far too early. If a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves can't make the playoffs, and we're talking about guys with a few years of experience in Towns and Wiggins, and then, of course, Thibodeau, then a team like the Sixers still has a lot of experience needed before they can legitimately contend for a playoff spot. So I'm going to be right there on the bandwagon. I'm going to be chasing it down. I'm going to be trying to ride that bandwagon if I can. Philadelphia 76ers bandwagon, that is. I will be surprised if they make the playoffs. So I'm going to pretty much go with what you said, but replace the Sixers with the Pistons. And I feel pretty good about that. Because in a state of... Anarchy and change, the Pistons remain the same, and I kind of know what I'm getting out of them. This is the same reason why I never draft rookies. I know what I'm getting out of the Pistons, and I'm pretty sure they could be the eighth seed in an East that would should be down from last year's East. Yeah, I think it'll be down in the, in the bottom half of the conference. I think the top half is slightly better, if not the same. You know, I think Milwaukee probably gets a little better. I think... Toronto is the same. Cleveland's the same. Boston got a little better. So there's there's five teams that you can feel pretty good about locking in. But after that, you know, I mean, the Hawks might be a bottom five team in the NBA. The Bulls will probably be a bottom five team, and the Pacers. Those are the, those are three playoff teams from last year that are almost certainly dropping out, and it's, it's hard to see any other result. So I think a team like Miami that almost made the playoffs last year with you know Whiteside and Drogic missing time and you know, just injuries all over. That you know, obviously they overachieved with the group that they had, but if that group stays healthier, I think they can find an equilibrium. And I mean, in the Eastern Conference, I don't know if we're going to see a situation where thirty-five wins gets you the eight seed. Oh, wow. But whether we do or not, it's like whether that whether that team is say Philly wins thirty-five games against the eight seed, or they win forty-one games against the eight seed. It's like what those six extra wins that they got are because they're playing worse competition. You know, like I, I don't know where we're going to see it kind of smooth out. Um, but I mean, there's going to be some brutal, brutal teams in the East and at the bottom of the West too. Can the Nets make the playoffs? No, they're no, they're not allowed to make the playoffs. Nets, Magic, Knicks, Bulls, Pacers, Hawks were just riding. The Knicks are a team I could like, (laughs) but this is this speaks to how bad some of these other teams are. It's like the Knicks look like a possible eight seed right now. Until Christmas last year, they were they were in the mix. If they only wouldn't have okay. had to play the last 55 or so games, they would have been right there. Yeah. Orlando's going to be awful. Brooklyn's going to be awful. Brooklyn lost its best player and got D'Angelo Russell. You know, like, I don't I don't know that that was a, a win-now move by them. I, I feel sick for what I'm about to say. Like, I'm pulling over okay. a trash can right now, Thank actually. Thank you for giving me time to prepare. Pulling over a trash can right now. I think the Magic could be the eight seed in the, the East this coming year if we're going to talk about change and turnover rosters new coaches all that orlando 
retained the same roster they finished out basically the second half of last season with. They've had some time to gel. You can see this is a common theme with me. I, I want reliability, some reps. I want you know all five guys and some of the bench players to have some reps. They've got a good coach, a coach that all of us considered a top five coach not that long ago in Frank Vogel. And maybe they can figure some things out. Vucevic is solid. Maybe Alfred Payton, some good veterans off the bench, and Augustine, C.J. Watson. Maybe they could do something. I mean, we're talking a very no, low I'd... bar to surpass here, but I do see a roster like this challenging the Knicks, challenging the Heat. It's yeah. it's possible. No, it, it is, and that, again, speaks to where the Eastern Conference is right now because this Orlando team is terrible. But you have Aaron Gordon. If Jonathan Isaac is more ready than we think, you know, Fournier is still good. If Alfred Payton plays like he did for like that three week stretch last year, and that, it's conceivable. I don't think it's crazy. And Aaron Gordon has been saving up all those jumps he should have been taking over the last few years right. for this one jump, this maybe Tracy McGrady like jump. You never know. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's in the cards. Now I'm going to the West. I'm going to throw up now. Yeah, you actually sound like you might. Yeah. Let's go to the West. This is where things get interesting, uh, for completely other reasons. Golden State one. I got Houston two, just assuming that Paul and Harden figure it out. San Antonio three, because they really haven't gotten any better. Oklahoma City four. Minnesota five. Denver six. The Clippers seven. And Portland eight. So that leaves Memphis, Utah, and New Orleans as the three teams that, that could challenge for, you know, six, seven, eight. I hear you. Uh, this is hard to do because we don't have this written down. But you don't. I don't. I don't. I, I I refuse to pull up your show notes where this would actually help me out. This is a shared document. I think that as I was skeptical of the Timberwolves last year, I'm still a tad bit skeptical. Here's why. The former team that they had didn't show us anything, right? 31 and 51. They added Jimmy Butler. Fantastic player. Fantastic player. However, did Jimmy Butler like put the team on his back last year and take them to the playoffs? I, I don't more I don't or know. less. In terms of winning games and like seeing results in the win loss record, I don't know if I'm ready to anoint Jimmy Butler plus what you would need to get the five seed is plus twenty games. Jeff T. I mean, also Jeff, Jeff Teague, also Taj Gibson. We're saying are those three guys worth twenty plus twenty? Would we even give LeBron James well, that much if he went to any other team? I don't, I don't know. Yes. Well, some oh, yeah. a lot of teams. I mean, okay, Cleveland that's a bad was example. like plus thirty-five. <laughs> a bad example. Um, but I, I mean, that's yeah, a no, lot I, of games. The way James and I always talk about this stuff is, you have to look at the team's record last year and say, should, is this the team that they actually are? And I, I think they underachieved last year. So I don't see. You know, obviously, it would in fact be a twenty-game jump, but I see it as a 15 game, a 12 game jump because they shouldn't have won 31 last year. Like that wasn't a roster that should win 31 games. Uh, again, I'll say <clears throat> they need more. You're what, right. What, what from the players on the court tell you that? Cause Wiggins good. Get it. I understand. Carl Anthony Towns. He's good. I get it. Show me where he's, where they've won games. I just don't see how a team with Towns, Gibson, Wiggins, Butler, Teague, and Jang as its top six, doesn't make the playoffs. I will. I will, now. I didn't say playoffs because that would only mean a ten-game okay. jump, and I'm willing to go there. But you and a lot of other people 
saying four five, four five with Minnesota, four five, which is like you're rating them higher than you did la- coming into last year. Yes. And they did. I mean, I they don't know. Added I Jimmy just, Butler. Aren't you guys snake bitten? They added an all aren't, NBA aren't you player. Snake bitten by your terrible projections from last I know. year. Last year, I was. I did not predict them okay. to make the uh, to make the playoffs. So I'm I talking think, about Earth. You know, the rest oh Earth. Of, the rest of Earth. I don't speak with for their Earth. Terrible Timberwolves projections. I'm just saying, like, aren't okay, you so a little who, bit snake bitten, Earth? Come on. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll wait on the response from Earth. <laughs> but who do you put above them then? Uh, Warrior Spurs, Rockets, yes, Thunder, Trailblazers, Nuggets. Then I would say the Timberwolves. And where am I at? Do I need one more playoff team? The Clippers. Yeah, the Clippers. So I'm saying that the Timberwolves sneak in there in a similar fashion that the Grizzlies did this year where – you know, the last two weeks of the season, it's up in the air, but they kind of clinch with still four or five games left. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I see where you're coming from. I mean, Oklahoma City was a playoff you team. Mean, you, you mean where I'm coming from, the fact that the Timberwolves were, Timberwolves were 31 and 51 yeah. last year? Well, no, I mean, I think you're saying like Oklahoma City was, what were they, the six? They were the six seven? seed, yep. And so they go from being a playoff team already, adding Paul George, so playoff team getting better by I, I have them getting equals, better by like four or five games. Yeah. And you're saying like they were already there was already such a gap between OKC and Minnesota last yes. year that the additional Paul George, even though Minnesota got better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 an argument. I think Minnesota is a playoff team though, right? Can we agree with that? Yes. I got them as a seven. I'll probably have them as there's still a lot to be decided, yeah. but probably a seven seed. Well, let's put it this way. So Oklahoma City four Minnesota five. That's my list. You put the Clippers ahead. No, Clippers would be fighting for that eight seed. I would okay. put the Trailblazers and Nuggets ahead of the Timberwolves. So there's our jumping off. Nuggets point. are going to be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it wouldn't be shocking if the Nuggets were in that three four range. Okay, I would be. It would be surprising, no but it wouldn't be no, shocking. There's no need to make declarations like that. It's not a declaration. It's, I just said it would be. It would just be okay. a surprise. But I think if everything breaks right, I mean, they were a really good team. Last year, and now you're adding Paul Millsap. They have a lot of guards. They need a point guard. That's the thing. You can only go. So you can't. You're not going to be the three seed if Emmanuel Moutier is playing 25 minutes a game. Everybody says that, but he wasn't playing much at the end of last year. It's going to be Jamal Murray. It's going to be yeah. Jameer Nelson. I uh, so notable teams that are outside for me. Pelicans is somebody you had in. Pelicans would be the four in the East. I think they're no, better. They're better not, than Milwaukee. Everybody keeps saying. I, all right, I obviously have a problem with the way we're talking about projected playoff rankings yeah. because you're just echoing what a lot of other people are saying. And not to say you don't have original thought, but a lot of people are saying this too. Like, oh, uh, Pelicans four in the East. They're making the playoffs in the West. Oh it's no, like, they're not no. making the playoffs in the West. I'm just saying they'd be the four in the East. Okay, they're not well, making it in the West. Oh well, yeah, that sucks for them. But I mean, I. I, I think the Pelicans would be lucky to improve on their record that they had this year of 34 and 48. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it was Tom Haverstra who said, I don't even remember where he said this, that teams like Boston are going to be keeping a close eye on that situation. And DeMarcus Cousins basically being an expiring. And if they come out of the gates, like New Orleans every year, it feels like starts the season like 0-15. Yeah. And if if they come out and they're and they're they're sitting at five and twelve, you know, in in early December, I think the calls are going to start coming in. 
because the way that this Western Conference is going to go, you're not just going to be able to make up games like that. So here's a quick way, just to recap. Um, compared to the teams in the West that made the playoffs last year, you still think the Clippers, who were a four seed last year, are still going to make the playoffs next year? Wait, I'm sorry. Can you rephrase that? Are the Clippers going to make the playoffs this coming I year? I think so. I have them as okay. a seven. I so, think you know losing Paul is huge, and we're going right. to see. We haven't really seen this group without him, mm-hmm. so that could be disastrous. Who knows? But they bring in Tia Dosage. You still have Patrick Beverly, who I think is really good. If Blake's healthy, they make it. If Blake's not healthy, they're out. I'll put them it's as pretty the simple. eight. Jazz, we both have falling out. Yeah. And we just went on about how Gordon Hayward might not even be that good, and they're going to bring back pretty much everybody else, and they have Rubio. But, I mean, it just, what it just comes down to, if you compare them head-to-head, it's like, I like Portland better. I like the Clippers better. I like Denver's you know, Denver's roster better. Then all of a sudden, you're up back into the top four and five teams, and we know Utah's not, you know, if anything, Utah's getting the seven or the eight. Rodney Hood will have to have an amazing season for them to make the playoffs. And I don't think there's any other way around him having an amazing season. Yeah. Um, so Thunder you have making it. Grizzlies you have making it still as well. And no, that, I don't. I have, I have Memphis at nine. You do? Wow, that would be something. Trailblazers you have out as well or making it? I have them as the eight. Okay. So not a lot of turnover here based on what you're projecting. And I think that's fair. I think people are going to overreact to all these roster moves and, you know, go crazy and project the Nuggets to be the three seed. But when in reality, when we look at last year's playoff teams compared to this coming years, it's just going to be a couple changes. I mean, that's what it well, is the from thing year is, to year every, every time anyways. Right. Well, the teams that were at the center of these moves were mostly playoff teams already. You know, the Clippers, mm-hmm. Oklahoma City, Houston, Golden State, you know, th- these teams were already, you know, three, four of the top five or six teams at the conference last year. So it was kind of a, a rich get richer or a rich shake up their core type of situation. You know, it's not like it's it's not like Sacramento went out and got Chris Paul and James Harden. You know, Houston just got Chris Paul. So mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to be the regular season should at least be more fun, right? The regular season should definitely be more fun because the best part is that all four of these Western Conference teams play each other four times. Um, yeah. They only have to dip across uh, – basically the continental divide, if you mm-hmm. will, twice. La- uh, one thing I do want to ask you, just real quick, because I need you to just keep me sane here, is Ty Lawson was brought on to the Houston Rockets, right, with with James Harden. Like a while back? Not that long ago, just yeah. oh, last I'm, year. Not, I'm just saying ago. like he didn't sign there in the last hour. No, no, right? no, no, okay. no, a while back, like last year, two yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah. right? And what happened was Ty Lawson was rendered useless to the bench, and he just, you know, it just wasn't a good fit right? Don't say it. (laughs) How similar is that situation to this Chris Paul situation? Are you? Chris Paul is not Ty Lawson. I know, but. Zero DUIs. (laughs) I'm aware of that, but Ty Lawson was one of the better point guards in the league for a while back in his Denver days. I know he's had some troubles, but he was a very, very good point guard coming over to play with a ball dominant James Harden. We're talking about an extremely good Chris Paul coming over to play with a ball dominant James Harden. I think there should be more parallels drawn here than have been made already. No? I don't think so. I think okay. I think in some ways Houston clearing out its guard depth is going to help because they're going to rely a ton on Chris Paul and and James Harden, which if they stay healthy is great. Uh, and we're going to see. I don't think they're going to be on the floor together quite as much as people expect. I think that I mean obviously they're going to start together and they're going to close together. But if you're Houston, you know, you have 
arguably the two best pick and roll creators and passers uh, at the point guard position in the NBA and two, two of the best ever, honestly, if, if we want to go by the season that Harden had last year and Chris Paul's entire body of work, you want to stagger those guys, right? I, I think as much as you can, like the way of, if I'm Mike D'Antoni, I have in my mind, I'm like, all right, I have point guard one and point guard one a at my disposal. One of these guys should be handling the ball at all times. I, I'm a terrible person to ask because I'm jaded of how the thunder have handled their, their guys in the past where for whatever reason um back when durant and westbrook were together they always like took breaks together it just made no sense yeah and even this this past year you know like westbrook's minutes probably should have been staggered a little bit differently than they were and i don't know i don't i don't know if there's like hot and cold zones or whatever they talk about like where a player just needs to rest that long because there was a lot of times where you said like russell just needs to play the whole game we know he can but he was in that red zone where athletic trainers, when they run their analytics, they just say it just he's actually more efficient if you give him a longer break. And so it mm. makes sense. And I wonder if that you know that kind of thinking will come in the way. You know, as a Thunder fan, I've been jaded from just quote unquote staggering minutes. I don't even know it's a real thing because I've never seen it in action. Yeah, that is true. The Thunder were always really bizarre about that um but i mean I, I, again they're gonna play together i'm not i'm not trying to say that they're just gonna like make chris paul the backup point guard you're right anything, though it but makes they don't have really any other options Maybe. it makes sense for one of those guys to always be on the court every single yeah game. i mean because i mean looking at their guard depth right now if, if those guys are both off the court who's who is handling the ball is it eric gordon is it bobby brown those are the two options. Trevor Ariza and PJ Tucker. Yeah, might be I mean they'll sign the someone. Ball court. They'll they'll bring in their version of Jose Calderon or whoever it might be, a Jameer Nelson type, uh, and that'll be fine. But I think when you can have the option of Harden or Chris Paul handling the ball, you just you just do it that way. Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, we got the Kings. Otto Porter, we're still up in the air on, but I mean he's going back to Washington. Um, oh, uh, Robertson, three for thirty seems like a really good deal. It is a really good deal for one of the best declared by Kevin Durant, who's played with him and against some perimeter defenders in the league. Yeah. Keep in mind, he's one of the worst shooters in the league from all areas of the court. He Uh, just seemed like one of those guys who was going to get way too much money. And And I saw that figure and I was like, geez, that seems like he's taking a discount. I, I was ready for him to move on and see what the Thunder could be without the mental block of him needing to be on the court. Because it's, I understand it, right? You preach defense, you preach it, you preach it, preach it. Day in, day out, in practice, games, scrimmages, he's doing exactly what the coach wants. He's a great coach guy. But should he actually be on the court during important games? I don't know. And so I was kind of excited. I was definitely excited just to see the Thunder not even have to think of him as a possibility because more often than not, they sided with playing him a bunch of minutes, and I don't know that that's operating well, efficiently. Last year, they didn't have much choice. You know, I was like, who is it going to be, him or McDermott? And in that, in that scenario, it's just opposite. Like, McDermott gives you the offense, but zero defense. Robertson gives you the defense, but zero offense. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard to compete with good teams like Houston and and eventually Golden State if you get that far when one of the guys on the court is just a complete non-factor on either end and I think it's easier to get away with if that guy's a really good defender than like a than like a Kyle Korver type right because at least at least he gives you 
something that no one else in your roster can give you on the defensive end. Well, think but about you're just playing four on five for half the game. Yeah. Well, guys like um, McDermott and Kyle Corver are still dependent on the offensive. They're really good offensive players, but they're still dependent on somebody else to create for them. And so if you talk about Andre Roberson on the defensive side, like he doesn't need anybody's help in the pick and roll. He's not like super good at pick and roll defense where you know there's another player involved somehow he, he's just very good at locking down guys on yeah. the perimeter so i don't know i was just i was enticed by the idea of him not being an option even though they didn't really have many other options last year the issue with him is he got worse on offense like he closed 2015-16 with some encouraging games he shot 31 percent from three which for him is great and then he comes out and shoots 24 percent from three last year and the free throw shooting too like that's a really bad sign of like this guy is like severely severely broke as a shooter if you're shooting 42 percent from the free throw line well he was at like uh, what were his free throw numbers in the playoffs three of 21 (laughs) that's unbelievably bad for any player let alone a wing well the sad part here is it's all mental because if you go look at all his shot attempts it's not in traffic he's not being double teamed he's not forcing the issue all his shot attempts come when he is wide open to the point where everybody in the whole arena has their yeah. eyes on you. He right? shot 38% from three the second year of college. <laughs> it's from three? From three. Yeah, it, that's why it's mental. It's, it's totally mental because the way he's shooting it puts so much pressure on him mentally. It's just like there's almost no other player in the league where all his shot attempts come from wide open. And that's almost a bad thing because it's it's turned for the worst with him where there's just this mental block that he cannot get over. Mm. It's so bad. Everybody in the arena and him, most importantly, knows that the shot is not going to fall. It got pretty bad at the end of that playoff series. I wouldn't say I felt bad for him, but I, it was a little bit – it was a lot of bit sad. It, it is – I mean, you just knew. Like, he went – they kept sending him to the line, and it was like, <laughs> just give him a break, man. This is this is not fair. And that's where, like, Hackashack, Hackadeandre right. works. That works yeah, in practice. Yeah, it works, it works when it's your seven foot one, 300-pound center. Like, you can't, you, you can't be hacking your starting three. <laughs> like, that's a big issue. He's the only guy in the history of the position that's been hacked, hasn't he? Did they ever do that to Tony Allen? I don't know. Cause they they kind of did it to LeBron. But kind of. But you know what? Tony Allen, like he had that gene where he actually rose to the occasion. Like yeah. he, he kind of, he when that spotlight was actually like truly on him, he kind of did rise to the occasion. But guess what? Thunder fans, we got three more years of that. Three more years at $10 million per year. That's not a bad price. All things it's not a bad price. At least, you're not, at least you're not overpaying for terrible free throw shooting. That would be something this market last thing Dion waiters back of miami i was hoping we'd get a players tribune article <laughs> after his pulitzer prize worthy article earlier in the year this seems like maybe a little bit of an overpay but he was really good i mean he was there's no two ways about it for the what 60 games that he played last year he was the second best player on that team probably and well go ahead well we've talked about late bloomers on this podcast tracy mcgrady um who was the other one like maybe relating him to uh johnny o'brien or johnny o'brien yeah sure um he's still only 25 years old um and you do wonder you know he he was at cleveland not a good fit maybe uh oklahoma city played with you know russell and kevin durant wasn't able to shine 
now maybe he's finally getting into a system where he can shine. And I think Miami is welcoming him back with open arms if he can give exactly what he did for them last year. I mean, he was part of that amazing run they went on with a bunch of nobodies. I mean, he was a star of a cast of nobodies, and he was actually putting them on... um, on his back and taking him to the promised land and well, not quite, but can you make the argument that he almost won Eric Spolstra coach of the year? Like he might well, be he was the hurt reason. for a lot of that. I know he only season. played 46 games, but like he played a major role in Eric Spolstra getting some coach of the year buzz. Maybe in, in that people gave him extra credit because he coached Deion Waiters Exa- to no, success. I'm I'm not joking here. That that's yeah. an actual thing. That's that's what I'm saying. Well, he's just the next in like a long line of guys that have kind of followed this J.R. Smith, JaVale McGee, like redemption path. You know, where it seemed like in the past guys like this would just keep spiraling down and down and down and you know, for whatever reason we've we've seen a couple stories like this. So yeah, I mean I think the the biggest thing for Miami is like Deion Waiters was not option one or two or three or four for them, but they have a bunch of cap space. They need to spend it on somebody, and he just kind of happened to be in the right place at the right time. Good for him. It's as simple as that, huh? Yeah, it really is. I think we just got to wait that out. Some team will come calling. Are you restricted this summer? Dion? No, you. Your your contract. Oh, me. Well, that's the thing. I I feel confident that I could knock down a couple more open Mm -hmm. looks than Andre Roberson could. Well, we, you have not been at Roto Hoops in a very long time. To your credit, neither have I. Mm-hmm. But you haven't been there longer. Are you fully recovered from that? Was oh, it an ankle injury? Yeah, it it was a foot thing. I don't know what happened. I'm I am fully recovered. I just have new new things going on on basketball nights. Mm. Yeah, mentally, I don't know because I really haven't got out there since that major foot injury. <laughs> Did we ever get a diagnosis? Did uh, you never, visit Doctor? Never James went Anders? to the doctor, but it. Definitely sprained something. Had the good old bruise yeah. all the way up the length of the foot. Like, you know, anybody that's sprained their ankle knows oh. that, that, that like, slender bruising that happens along the left Any, or right Anyone side who's of your an foot. athlete like us knows. Right. Hey, put me in the Players' Tribune. I'll talk about my foot injury. Yeah, you can, you can talk about how you beat a sprayed ankle. <laughs> Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.